Welcome to Conversations. I'm your host, Doug Dewan, and joining me this segment is Avi Sakatapulu, a psychoanalyst and member of the faculty of NYU's postdoctoral program in psychotherapy and psychoanalysis. Join us as we look at issues that affect us here at home in our community and across the nation. Today, we're going to talk about gender identity, and uh, you co-wrote a book called Gender Without Identity. So first of all, Avi, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. Thank you very much for the invitation. Yeah, of course. So in your book, you you kind of posit that gender is a spectrum um, and, and it is fluid and you argue uh, that it that it can change over time. How did you come to that conclusion? What do you mean when you say gender identity may shift and how would you relate it? Possibly, I think a lot of us associate that with sexual identity and or orientation. Yeah, that's such a great set of questions. Um, let me start by saying this, that, um, you know, our book tries to recalibrate um, how we think about gender. So we've written this book together with my co-author, Dr. Anne Pellegrini. It's called Gender Without Identity. And we are making, we are starting with a premise that gender is fluid, meaning that kind of like there's we don't just have, there's not just two genders, but a variety of different genders with different possibilities. But our main argument is not just that it changes over time, but most importantly, that nobody's born into their gender, not gender normative people, not trans people, not non-binary people, that in short, gender is something that we all acquire through a very complex set of psychic processes. So, I mean, just based on the conclusion alone, my initial concern would be, do you worry that these conclusions would be used by those who believe gender identity can be, and I'm quote fingering now, fixed? And and how would you address that? Oh, absolutely. We're worried about that. In fact, part of why we had held back on writing this earlier is because we are concerned about how the points that we're making could be weaponized or used against trans people and queer people. So let me start by saying this, that there's nothing wrong with being queer or trans, and there's nothing, there's no wrong way to be queer or trans, and there's no wrong way to become queer or trans, which is another way of saying that the narrative that we have had historically for speaking about gender and sexual diversity has been that, uh, that there's it's inborn, it's innate, that people are just born this way. And this has been the only alternative that we have had available politically. And I think also clinically, I am a clinician myself. My co-author is also um, a psychoanalyst. So we both work with the queer community and are queer identified our, in our own right. And what we have found in the clinic is that the story has always been that, you know, if that the only way to defend queer and trans life from being seen as pathological, as having had the wrong influences, the wrong parenting, the wrong um, kind of like social exposures, like the, if you hang out in the wrong bars or on the wrong internet sites, you could become queer and, oh, isn't that terrible? That the only way to counter that has been to argue that there's something innate about being queer uh, and that there's something innate about being um, gender non-conforming. But, but we have wanted to push back against this, what we've come to see as a blackmail in some sense, that the only way to think about transness and queerness as being legitimate experiences and valid psychic 
positions and identities is to assume that one is just born with them. And this is not what we see in the clinic necessarily. And neither has the narrative that one is born into their gender, their identity served legally or politically queer or trans people well. Like we see what's happening right now around the country Mm -hmm. uh, with all of these legislative attacks on trans rights and Kind of like trans, uh, kind of like uh, access to trans healthcare. Yeah, that actually would be the the next question that I wanted to talk about. If if we identify that uh, gender identity fluctuates, then where where do we stand with the restrictions on trans and non-binary gender affirming healthcare? Like, what are your thoughts on on that topic, especially with what's happening in in multiple states around the country? Yeah, I mean, we see as your kind of like very aptly referencing all of these extremely um, kind of like regressive attacks, which are really a backlash on the expansion of gender that we've been seeing over the last few years. Um, We see these attacks on the legitimacy of transness. So we have colleagues in my field, for example, who say that there's there's no such thing as a trans child. What, what you see in children who identify as trans are children who have been in some way warped of their natural gender, which is supposed to, which is understood to always be cis. Um, uh, and therefore, kind of like our job is to fix children and return them back to binary cis identification. And of course, we oppose that reasoning very much. Uh, But the problem um, that one runs into if you start thinking about gender as something that one acquires as opposed to something that one is born into is like how do you think about transition services and um, healthcare? And the position that we take in the book is that there is something very basic to human autonomy for individuals to be able to identify themselves, to claim the kinds of experiences and um, kind of like medical care that they need in order to be able to be who they understand themselves to be. The fact that we don't think that there's something kind of like core or um, kind of like inborn about that does not mean that people should not have access to what they need to live a full life. So on that topic then uh, of, of you talked about the, the born this way um, um, identity thing. So is it different for uh, sexual orientation versus gender identity? Um, because I am a straight cis male, so I can't speak to this topic other than anecdotally through what I've been told from my gay friends who say, no, I was always this way. Um, as far as their orientation, does that mean that their gender identity is fluid, but the orientation isn't? Or what What do you think about that topic? Yeah, that's such a great question because we are by no means trying to legislate how people tell the story of their own experience. So especially oppressed minorities like gay people and uh, queer and trans people, we are not trying to say this is how people should talk about themselves. What we are trying to do is make space for a variety of different kinds of stories, different ways of understanding Um, different ways of being queer, different ways of being trans or non-binary. So rather than group all kind of like sexual and gender diversities under one umbrella and insist that there's only one way to understand them as if they were a monolithic or singular category, uh, to be able to think with more complexity, to afford 
queer and trans people the resource of complexity that is routinely afforded to to cis people and to straight people. So, you know, cis and straight people get to be, to have conflicting feelings about their gender. They get to have kind of like ambivalences or to have experiences that kind of like put put their gender under pressure. Like for example, kind of like a cis cis woman um, gets to do a variety of different activities without necessarily being seen as not being um, a woman. Like people may say she's not feminine enough but her cis femininity, cis femaleness will not be questioned. Queer and trans people don't enjoy the same level, the, the same bandwidth. Um, so to go back to your question about your friend, like, you know, everybody understands themselves in the way that they do. We're not trying to control that. What we are trying to do is open up space for clinicians and therapists, but also for the wider public to begin to understand that there's nothing, there's no single story about transness or queerness that we can all get behind. Queer and trans people are as complex as cis and straight people are. Mm, but much more under the microscope, uh, especially with the political climate. So we, you know, second guess every decision in a public forum. Um, now, you mentioned in the book as well that uh, trauma may have a part in the formation of the queer and trans experience. Can you kind of explain and expand upon that? And again, I mean, I, I feel the confliction here when I'm talking to you that there's mm-hmm. a worry that these conclusions will be used to be weaponized against the queer and trans communities. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it goes back to exactly what you were saying a moment ago, that queer and trans people are under a microscope and are surveilled and scrutinized in ways that normatively gendered and um, kind of like people who are straight are not. And that makes it really hard to talk about things that in the clinic we see a lot. Not it, They don't apply to everyone, but they certainly apply to some people. And which also apply to straight people and cis people. So the argument that we're making when we say that that gender is something that is acquired. We don't just mean that for people whose genders are atypical. We mean that for cis people too. Like everybody has to do work to become the gender that they live in. Um, kind of like, you know, we, we have many examples of that. And trauma is for some people part of how that happens. And that includes cis men and cis women and trans people and non-binary people. So we are not kind of like saying that this is unique, kind of like the the idea that trauma may have a share in how somebody becomes their gender is unique to understanding um, like people who are gender non-conforming. We are saying that this applies to everyone and it's time to be able to talk about that equitably for everyone. Yeah. And uh, it's hard to have this conversation without talking about the current political climate. And there's, Uh there's, uh, you know, um, a lot of attention and vitriol aimed at trans individuals specifically currently. What would you want those who uh, embrace the intolerance to know? And what would you say to the trans community about the future of, of where we're headed? Well, this is a very important context. This is the backdrop against this book is arriving, against these conversations are being had at this particular moment. And the attack against the trans community which is vicious and kind of like completely un- unethical at this particular moment, and yet raging across several states. It started with children because children are always kind of like can easily be um, weaponized uh, because 
children, kind of like we kind of like under the guise of protecting children, um, it becomes very easy to kind of like uh, kind of like uh, pin onto children agendas that have nothing to do with protecting children. So we know, for example, that like when schools were being integrated um, kind of like after uh, with uh, Brown v. Board of Education, uh, part of the challenge of integrating schools was the danger, so to speak, and I put this, of course, in scare quotes, that Black children would pose to white children. So that, too, was a campaign about children. But we see very quickly that it was only some children who mattered, and not all children were deemed um, equitably um, uh, deserving of protection, and that actually the panics were racialized. And we are at a moment of profound gender and sexual panic around trans people. And, you know, for, you know, if I were to, to be addressing in this imaginary address that you're inviting me to do to those who are seeking to restrict um, trans, trans life, what I would say is that one would need to wonder as to why there's so much focus right now like why are you so preoccupied with other people's gender why does it matter so much to you and if you're thinking that you're trying to protect the children let's also think about how that has quickly blotted out to also about trans adult care like those of us who are working in these fields always knew that this was not going to stop with children so now there are states where conversations are happening about Kind of like access to healthcare, even for kind of like adults who are like up to 25 years old, under the premise that their brains are not fully developed. And what I would say to people who are in the trans community is that there's a lot of people fighting for the dignity and the importance of being able to be oneself and being able to live in the way that you deserve to live. And children, like many of us, are kind of like working very, very hard to make sure that that space continues to stay open where it's open and that it can be opened up where it's closing down. Avi, can you, uh, before I let you go, is there anything that we didn't really cover that you think is important that we talk about? Yeah, thank you for asking that question because there is something that I would like to add, which is that while you're absolutely right, and this is also what worried us, that speaking about these things more complexly at this political climate may feel especially dangerous, and there's no question that it is, it also feels to us that it is a very urgent intervention. And this is because, especially as more and more people are talking about um, individuals who are detransitioning or have gone on hormones and go off hormones, and those, those experiences are now being taken to mean that the original um, um, kind of like identification of the person as trans was therefore wrong. And if people can get it wrong when they say they're trans, then maybe the rest of us who are monitoring and surveilling, or as the state wants us, should be monitoring and surveilling. Obviously, I don't agree with that position. But then if some people identify as trans and then decide to detransition, then that means that it's not enough for somebody to say they're trans. We should be in the business of um, assessing and diagnosing and measuring who is truly trans, right? And this is the more progressive narrative, right? This is not like the, this doesn't come from the right that says, 
nobody should transition because that position, as we're talking about, is also in wide circulation. It comes from those who feel, well, maybe some people should transition and some people shouldn't. Why don't we go and figure out how to measure people's gender identity so that we can know who should and who shouldn't? And that is extremely problematic. And it is based on this notion that there's something true or authentic about gender and we have to figure out how to assess it. And there's nothing more wrong than imagining that there's a way to know what another person's quote-unquote true gender is. And this is the intervention that we're trying to make. Like It is urgent in this political climate to move away from the notion of a core gender identity because it actually gets us into trouble. It gets us into trouble because we end up having to figure out if you go with this model, there should be a way to figure out who's truly trans and who isn't. And that we see time and again in the clinic and also in the larger culture. It, it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> it's almost like asking somebody who says they're a big fan of a band to name every you know song they've ever written. It's like, you know, well, you don't you don't have to prove to me that you're a fan. You don't have to prove to me that you're trans. You just you just are, you know, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It, there, there, there's a scale, you know, not everyone is the same, not everyone is the same level, but that doesn't take away your individuality. So, um, mm-hmm. Avi, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, tell me uh, a little bit about the book. Where can we find it? Where, where can we learn more? Thank you, Doug, for asking that. Uh, the book comes from a very small press, and this is a particularly important time to be supporting small presses. It's called the Unconscious in Translation Press, and people can buy it from UIT Books. Uh, .com. And uh, you can also follow me and my co-author on social media. I am on Instagram under uh, Avgolis98, A-V-G-O-L-I-S 98. If you, if you read the book, if you are interested in the book and you want to get in touch, um, if you want to send us photos of you reading the book, uh, we're very happy to repost them. And please spread the word because it is so important at this moment to move beyond the the pieties uh, with which we have been saddled and think more complexly about gender. Yeah. Uh, and I think what a great time to have that conversation. Avi, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening. Conversations is a public affairs program of this station.